On today's show, our special guest is Mina Williams from Blanc and Rouge in Snohomish. We'll talk restaurant anniversaries and holiday specials, like Daniel's annual holiday champagne dinner, and some New Year's Eve events. It's all coming up on the Seattle Dining Show. Support for Seattle Dining and the Seattle Dining Show is provided in part by... B&E Meats and Seafood, your neighborhood butcher with four locations to serve you in Des Moines, Burien, Newcastle, and the top of Queen Anne Hill. Unique products, great meats, the freshest seafood, and a knowledgeable, friendly staff make shopping at B&E Meats and Seafood the best choice. Hi, this is Chef Jason Wilson, and welcome to the Seattle Dining Show. Coming to you live at the Test Kitchen Studio high atop Queen Anne Hill, it is time for the Seattle Dining Show. Join us as we explore news about Northwest restaurants, take a look at upcoming events, discover new kitchen tips you can use at home, dive into great recipes, and much more. And now, here's your host, the senior editor, Connie Adams, and whoever else just happened to drop by today. Welcome to the December Seattle Dining Show, number 1812, our last show of 2018. Wow, that's the sound of the year whipping by. Okay, it's done whipping by now. (laughs) It was longer than I thought it was going to be. I'm Connie Adams, senior and getting older by the minute editor, and I'm here with Tom Marin, youthful publisher and owner of Seattle Dining. Getting younger by the minute. Yeah, he's lying. With every... Aerobic session <laughs> with Liar. every free weight circuit. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? Since it is the last show of the year, we thought we'd talk about hopes and dreams for the future of restaurants and eating in general. So we have some things to discuss. We've been talking about this stuff lately. My hopes and dreams. Yes, of things getting better, of things getting healthier. Yeah. One of the things that I would like to bring up is that um, just Recently, like today, I got an email. Um, Sugar Mountain, Kurt Dammeyer, uh-huh. sends, has, is doing a newsletter where he, his group compiles eating and industry trends and things and sends out a, a monthly newsletter. Mm-hmm. So one of the documents in there today was from a thing called Civil Eats, and they were talking about how food and beverage companies have done basically the same things tobacco companies have done. And they find ways to prove that sugar isn't really your problem. <laughs> yeah. You need to do more exercise. So um, it's very interesting. Uh, I would just like to say you need to do your homework. And I, it's funny coming from me because I never do and you do all the homework. But uh, you need – if you want to be a little healthier and, and be doing the right things – You've got to look a little deeper because you've got some heavy hitters working against you to tell you uh, one, one you thing. You are absolutely right. Yeah, and one thing that I found fascinating, because this was in 2007, this woman was at a, uh, a conference on links between gum disease and diabetes, and a keynote speaker described Lipton Brisk Sweet Tea as a healthy drink. Oh, yeah. Because mm-hmm. it, it only has around 55 grams of sugar. <laughs> and she was like, good God. He was saying no evidence linking sugar to chronic disease. So that was 2007. That was only 11 years ago. And you know what we know now. And there's part of this in here is that she has dug into thousands of um, industry information. And it's, uh, it had all been donated to Colorado libraries 
by the Great Western Sugar Company, which went out of business in the 70s. I have no idea why. But um, they've got a ton of documents in the archives showing how things were suppressed or, you know, just swept under the rug or yep. even, I hate to say this, but somebody uh, put some pressure on an advisor to Hillary Clinton. Mm-hmm. The, the pressure putters were Coca-Cola. And, and shortly after that, Hillary's support for the soda tax sort of waned. So politically, too, in this country, things happen that shouldn't happen. Well, you know, to each our own. We have to, like you said, we have to make an effort to educate ourselves and realize the smoke screens when they're in front of us. Yes. And don't be fooled by, you know, we know that sugar's a bad thing. The more of it you have, the worse off you'll be. It doesn't mean you can't have any. Exactly. And it comes in a lot of different ways, obviously. Sugar, refined sugar. Mm -hmm. It's cane sugar. They say it's better for you. It's actually not. Um, you've got brown sugar, you've got maple syrup, um, agave, and you just need to when you're cooking with those things. Yeah, the agave thing is a total smokescreen. Yeah. That's just as bad for you as any of the other mm -hmm. ones I just mentioned. But it's mentioned. like a healthy alternative, they yeah. say. Yeah. yeah. So is tequila too. You yeah. know, might as well just use tequila where they call for sugar. That's what I recommend. Hey. Well, you know, you'd be a lot happier. <laughs> I'm just saying. I mean, it comes from the agave. <laughs> you know. It's got to be good for you. So, uh, yeah, I totally agree with you. And I think that there are people like Kurt Dammeyer and uh, uh, Duke Moskrip here in, here in Seattle who are making strides and efforts to clean up their menus. And it's important to them, big time. Um, sometimes I think I should become a nutritionist because I think I know more than most of these people, including like Kaiser, who sent me a notice the other day and told me to get on the Mediterranean diet and to, uh, baste my baked goods with olive oil and cook them at 425 degrees. Which send you into the cancerous range. Which cause carcinogens. So, you know, everybody's trying, Yeah. but the more you educate yourself the better off you're going to be. And you, and this is something you don't just learn in a couple of classes or anything like that. You just need to keep it. And for me, it's, it's I don't know, I guess it's I call it a hobby. Interested it's interesting. In it. and, uh, and I eat a lot better than I used to. And you come into my kitchen, you don't see a bunch of garbage in here. Yeah. But you can't help it when you go out to eat because 99.9% .9 of the stuff that's served at restaurants is not organic. It's not grass-fed. Yeah. It's not pastured. It's not... You know, and you know it's, that, it's got GMO all over the place, and it's got pesticides everywhere in it. Well, and the other thing that's a difficult thing when you're eating out is that there are some people who do care about this, and they may buy from farmers who are pretty much organic, but they cannot or will not pay the price to be certified. So sometimes you can get a decent meal someplace and not even know it. So anybody who's interested in more information on organic farming needs to go on the internet and search National Geographic Organic Farming. And there's an excellent article that just came out about this that explains what it takes to become an organic farmer. Uh, I don't think there's people who are doing organic farming. Well, maybe there's a few, but I think most of the ones who are converting to organic farming mm -hmm. are doing it for a purpose. They can make more money, number one. Yeah. Number two, they're doing a better thing for humans. Mm -hmm. uh, but it does take three years to get your crops certified because you've got to get all the garbage out of the soil. Yeah. 
So, um, and, and the way you do organic farming is decidedly different from non-organic yeah. farming. And also you have to be, like I have a friend who um, has a place in uh, know, Winthrop, outside Winthrop, mm-hmm. and they have some fruit trees and stuff. Well, if they had an orchard, they, they would have to, if they wanted, not that they're selling it, but you know. If, if they, they would they have were, to wait three years. Well, no, they would never be able to do it unless they paid tons of money because other people nearby use pesticides and it would blow onto them and there's no way they could do it. Yeah, I think. Um, there's actually some distance factors that are considered. So it may yeah, be that is. the outside of your orchard is going to be non-organic, although you're growing it organically, but that the interior of it could be. Mm. Um, I don't actually have the facts on that. Yeah. I, I, I got to get a hold of the USDA regulations, but I got a feeling there's some sort of a, you know, within X hundred of feet or whatever. Yeah. She would know that too. She was the one who told me that and it was... You know, it's not the whole orchard unless her orchard yeah. is small. Well, they don't have an orchard; they have a couple of trees. But she oh, was just yeah, saying yeah. she then was telling me that run. down the road, you know, yep. unless the yep. So. And then the guys who do the the hokey pokey farming that's not organic complain that the organic farmers have weeds that blow seeds into their crops and <laughs> blah 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 blah. blah <laughs> Healthy so. seeds, I hate that. Anyways, so speaking of kind of educating yourself, one of the things you can do is simply ask. Like for instance. I was mentioning to Tom the other day that uh, Eat Local was starting some new Mediterranean diets. They had some dietitians on their staff now. And he no, was this like, is what a is a restaurant that? up on the top. This is actually a, a, a pickup food location yeah. on the top of Queen Anne, when, yeah. what Connie's talking about. Yeah, and, it's, and they have several locations. Okay. Uh, and, um, and they do, you know, you go in and they've made pre-made meals and you can buy it, take it home, heat it up. And it's always, the idea was it's, it's getting local products, helping local farmers, helping local blah, 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 blah. But Tom was like, well, Mediterranean diet, great. I'm trying to do more of that. But what does this actually mean? So he just emailed them. So tell the story of. So I emailed and uh, they, they copped to me and told me that indeed their food was not currently organic. They weren't using grass-fed beef but that the people that they recently hired are there to try to do a conversion of these products so that they are grass-fed, so that they are all organic. And uh, I guess the only way, you know, if they have a newsletter or something, I could stay in touch with that. But but right there, I got them because they're saying, you know, it was this initial newsletter thing that they sent out saying all this great stuff they're going to do. And it wasn't really any better for you. Yeah, um, we ate at a restaurant recently, and they talked all about how they were sourcing everything locally. And when I asked the waitress what on the menu was grass-fed, what was organic, she went to the kitchen and checked, and came back and said nothing, not a thing. So, uh, and the interesting thing about that place is that they, on their website, in the about section. They, uh, you know, came to the real. This one guy came to the realization that eating clean is so much better. Eating fresh fruit from local areas <laughs> is so much better. And yet, when we go there now, this, of course, when he started, it was a number of years ago. But here they are. They're not eating clean, and and they're not. There's not. There wasn't one organic thing on the menu that night. No, and that now, it was delicious food. You know, it was ma- good food, and maybe it was better than some because it was probably locally sourced. Yeah. And he's concerned about the issue, like Duke, like Kurt. 
but he wasn't pulling in organic stuff. And, and over on the wall, 20 feet away from me, there was a picture of a organic bin of produce with a, with a label on it that said organic and the farm that it came from and all that. They so you're, serve it. So you're sitting there thinking, wow, this is great. And they're, and they're leading you to believe it's happening. And this is why I say you have to research and ask. And you got to ask. You're right. You got to ask and, you know. Find out what's going and on. And what you'll find out is what I found out is that you're just you're <laughs> I just don't succeed with finding a lot of places that do organic foods. In fact, I don't actually know other than like a vegetarian or a vegan restaurant. I don't know of any restaurants in Seattle who are focused 100 percent organic, grass fed. Tilth. Okay. You know, I mean, there's there's a probably two. Is it just two restaurants that are certified organic yeah. through the Oregon Tilth? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It could be. Yeah, I'll have to go down and try it someday. I've been, I'm, I, th- I think I went there years and years ago yeah. when it first opened. It's delish. I miss that little curry place that was. There. Oh, that was so good. Um, but anyways, yeah, keep going. Yeah, another uh, hope and dream for us is uh, that chefs and people who create recipes learn about smoke points and what when Carson. Genic things happen if you use an oil to cook with over a certain degree. Yep. And I know chefs who know what those are, and then I go into their kitchens, and they're doing it. They're taking olive oil, and they're putting it on meat, and then smoking it on the grill, charring it on the yeah. grill. And you know it's at 425, And recipes, recipes that you get in food and wine or Bon Appetit or from a chef, use olive oil. You know, it's not very often – uh, and the the oh, weird yeah. thing is that you and I have known about this, and we're not, you know, I'm not saying we're experts, and we've known about this for 10 years. I remember having a discussion with Dan Thiessen when he was at Salty's about this, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and he was doing a cooking demonstration someplace, and we were saying, yeah, you know, you should come on or do a chef's kitchen for us about smoke points and yeah. You know, that was a long time ago. It's not like this is new No, news. this is not new information. This is yeah. at least uh, one to two decades Old. Yeah. <laughs> Hope yeah. your meat's not one to two decades old. <laughs> uh, but, but uh, and here again, it, you can research all this on the internet. You don't even need a library card to get this information. You can yeah. just go on the internet and say, you know, show me stories about smoke points. Yeah. And you'll get all your data and you can write it down and make yourself a little grid and tape it to the inside of your pantry at home. <laughs> okay, now that only sounds fun to Tom, I realize, but it is a good way. idea. We have all kinds of stuff inside the pantry yeah. shelves here. We have what's in season when. We got. We know when the fish is in. Yep. We know, yeah. It's it's a good thing. So another of my little rants that I would love to see change, and and having read a recent article that again we found on um, that we received online, is about loudness in restaurants. It's just sort of unsupportable anymore. There's this uh, article that you found in the Atlantic Monthly, I believe yeah, it is. By a woman named Kate Wagner. And it's out of about New York. how loud restaurants are and how they're not going to be changing anytime yeah. soon. And because the, that's the way they've been designed. Well and one of the interesting things that I found at, from that article was that uh, they're not designed to be quiet and in the older days, like God knows it was the seventies or something Things that were supposed to be really high-end and uh, just beautiful had a lot of fabrics and coverings and carpeting, and everything was very opulent. That has gone the way of what's cool is slate and wood and 
glass. Mm-hmm. Well, shiny no, surfaces. None of that absorbs sound. Nope. So as long as uh, those kind of materials are used, and we all think that's the the coolest of cool, it's going to just get louder and louder. And then another point she made was that dining became more casual. Not as many places were just solely high-end. And then slowly, bar dining and restaurant dining sort of merged together in a lot of cases. Mm-hmm. Bar dining is louder. There's more drinking. There's more... Um, that was another thing that was really fascinating to me in here was that the louder the place... Let me see if I can find it. The louder the place, the more people drink. Oh, yeah, well, because they're, they're, the, they're trying to drink themselves silly so they can't yeah. hear anything anymore. Yeah. They can't hear what's left of their hearing. Yeah. <laughs> Loud restaurants are more profitable. More um, profitable. More people drinking, more booze produces more revenue. Probably produces more yeah. creepy customers, too. Some restaurateurs even make their establishments, establishments louder than necessary in an attempt to maximize profits. And there's a new place going in that we made fun of a couple months ago, a couple shows ago, because they said... It's going to be rambunctious. Or so it was a funny word. It wasn't rambunctious that they used. But they were saying it's going to be louder than hell. <laughs> and I just swore on the podcast. I'm so sorry. Yeah, so what does that do? It causes yeah. me to want to eat at home more. Oh, here's the one I was looking for. Noise levels recorded are linked to unhealthy food choices and excessive alcohol consumption. Sure. So not only do you drink more, but you end up probably eating more fried food. Get more chicken fingers and more French fries and more greasy burgers that work. Yeah. And here we are. Our hopes and dreams for the new year is better eating habits for everyone being able to get it. And then the places are getting louder and you're making worse choices and drinking more. So you got to take some of these hopes and dreams home with you. Yeah. It's what you'll do at home. And, you know, home is a nice, quiet setting. I, I really enjoy dinners at home. Oftentimes more so than going out because yeah. I can hear you when you're talking yeah. and our friends. And yeah. and really, almost everything I say is just pearls of wisdom. You don't want to miss that. Oh, no. Uh, you don't want to miss that. No, no. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways. Well, do we want to talk about our recent time yeah, in Yeah, so we, we took a little trip down to Southern California. We were in Los Angeles for nine days. And if you live here in the, in the well, in the Puget Sound, uh, let me tell you, you're blessed with good service com- <laughs> yeah. compared to what we got down in L.A. And it was one restaurant after another failing upside down. It was just ridiculous. Go ahead. You want to and get you know, into the details? Well, and the funny thing is this was Thanksgiving week. So you would think they'd be geared up for big business. So yeah. you wouldn't have your you know, lackadaisical employees some of these hand. places were really nice places. Yeah. What's the one called? Paul, uh, Paul Martin. Paul Martin. Well, start training your staff, Paul yeah. Martin. Lordy. Yeah, that was one of those things where uh, we got a beer delivered to the table, but nobody at our table was drinking beer. No, that's yes. like Amazon sent me two mattresses when I ordered one. What was up with that? Yeah, well. Anyways. Nobody. Back to, back um, to the restaurants. Yeah, and you know what? When I say things like, you know, she brought a beer to us that we didn't order, big deal. But the thing is, she didn't bring us some stuff, and then it showed up twice. There was no organic stuff on the menu for an organic re- You know, it's just a bunch of things like that. Um, we had we cocktails at- in the Baleen restaurant on two different nights, and they screwed the bill up both times. Yes. And then what we were told was they got a new POS system, a point-of-sale system, and they were having a little trouble with it. And, uh, <laughs> and I'm like, well, you know what? If you know that... And, and we, when we were there those two times for drinks, it was after dinner. It was not busy. 
it would have been an easy thing for her or him, that was a guy the first time and a woman the second time, to look at that bill and say, Whoops. well, that doesn't actually look right. Yeah. I mean, the first time the, the woman had told us or the guy had told us that uh, a bunch of different Hennessy's they had, and they ranged from about, you know, 10 bucks to 60 And so my brother chose the $18 version, and when I got the bill, it was the $60 the version. The $60 one, yeah. And so she told us wrong, or she put the wrong thing on. Or did you just think we're stupid and we're just going to pay the bill well, I and wonder. not even look? I don't because know. Because the, the second time I looked at it, it was like, boy, that seems a little high for what little things we had. And they had put the two drinks from the couples at the table next to us on our bill. Yeah, so then we went to my favorite little uh, organic restaurant oh. down there called True Food, and we decided to split a burger. They asked us how we wanted it. We said medium rare, which is 145 And actually, the way this came down was 135. the woman said, how do you want your burger, medium? Oh, we said medium, that's right. So but no, medium, she said medium, and we said yes, that is what we want. Yep. So she said it first. So uh, uh, the burger arrives at the table. And it's already cut in half, and it's very obvious that this burger was probably pulled at about one fifteen. It was bleeding heavily. It was bleeding. I think it was still beating. Yeah. And actually, the woman who took our order said, "Is everything okay?" And we said, uh, "No, this is really rare." And she looked at it and she goes, "Oh God, that even scared me." She jumped back. <laughs> so they so they took it back and they they nuked it somehow, some way. We're not sure how. And it showed up back at the table with half the condiments on it that it had the first time. And the bun looked drier. The bun looked dry, and the burger was just about as well done as you could get yeah. a burger. Without being crisp. So we sent it back and had it made a brand new one. Yeah. And By that finally time, they know, got it right on the third try. And it came back with all the condiments, the <laughs> lettuce and the cheese. and the, But it was like, wow. But the other odd thing about that experience was a second waitress came up, a second server came up and said, you guys have been waiting a long time. Can I buy you a drink? Because we both had a drink in front of us, and we, we didn't want another drink. And we nope. said, oh, no. You we said, if you want to buy us a drink, just take these off our bill. And she said, oh, well, I can't do that. Now, why couldn't she do that? So she said, uh, maybe I'll buy a dessert. And we, we thought, we said, okay, we'll look at it. But, you know, we didn't <laughs> want dessert. We're not dessert people. It, not at lunch. Gosh, we're, when we were eating so much last week. So it was just, it was like they couldn't do anything right. And, by, you know, by the time the whole thing, we'd been there an hour and a half for a quick lunch. We had two servers and a manager involved and whoever was cooking in the kitchen. And we got the explanation that it was somebody new you blah, know, blah, 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 blah. New, maybe. New you, means you better get the training underway before yeah. you put them on the line. Or new to me means maybe you forget that this burger had such and such on it. You, it's New doesn't mean you don't know the difference between raw and medium. Now, in Washington State, the head chef in the kitchen is required to have a digital read, instant read thermometer that he can insert into food at any time. So I asked the manager at the restaurant... Does the chef have a digital instant read thermometer on board? And can we get this right the third time? And what did she say? Well, we do have them, and the health department likes to know that we've got them, but it's a really inefficient way to cook. <laughs> inefficient. So now, here's another thing that I heard read this week, which I thought was fascinating because sometimes when we're out and Tom's like, I would like that at 145. I'm like, oh, good God. Really? Are you going to give me Yeah, I'm a real pain in the butt. I do sometimes think, you know, could we just go out and have dinner? But I was looking at, I believe it was Virginia, the state, uh, how to eat safely 
in restaurants in the state of Virginia. It's something that their government puts out. <laughs> like they're, like they're, so, they're separate from everybody Well, else. no, they're just saying, you know, these are the things you know, should know. And one of the things they said, and this just cracked me up because if I think you're a little bit of a pain in the neck, it's going to get worse because they said your food should be at the proper temperature. And if it's not, you know, you could get sick. So if you want to carry an instant read thermometer and stick it in your food when it arrives at the table, then you'll know for sure. Oh, there you go. I'm thinking, oh my God, I shouldn't tell Tom this because then he'll start carrying it to restaurants. There you go. But I mean, there's the state of Virginia saying that you maybe can't count on the restaurants, but if you carry <laughs> an instant read <laughs> Take thermometer. Take matters into your own hands. I tell you. All right. Uh, we need to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to be talking about our News Bites section. Support for Seattle Dining and the Seattle Dining Show is provided in part by... Ethan Stoll Restaurants. Fresh ingredients. Let's the food do the talking. From house-made pasta to ribeye for two. Find them at www.ethanstollrestaurants.com. Hi, my name is Elijah Lefkowitz. We're from uh, Fort Myers, Florida. We're visiting... The Seattle area, and we went to the Tillicum Place Cafe for brunch, and it was absolutely delicious. We had the savory and sweet Dutch ba- Dutch babies, and we'll, if we ever come back, that will be coming back to Tillicum Place Cafe. Hi, this is Executive Chef Paul Duncan from Ray's Boathouse Cafe and Catering, and you are listening to the Seattle Dining Show. We're back on the Seattle Dining Show. I'm Tom Marin, the publisher. I'm here with Connie Adams, the ever-so-wonderful senior editor. And uh, I just want to say, in that last segment, it, it got a little bit negative. But we uh, negative. the point there being, folks, that uh, Seattle, I don't have that kind of bad service experience. I, I have things happen now and then. But uh, this was just like a house of cards down there in L.A. Yeah, it was day so after day. So be thankful for what you got. I mean, there are restaurants that do excellent training. I know Tom Douglas does excellent training oh, yeah. with his staff. Salty's does. Salty's does excellent training. Dukes Everybody does. at the uh, Blue Acre and uh, Steelhead and Orfeo. Steelhead, Orfeo, uh, Zane and Wiley Steakhouse. All those people are really well trained. Support them because uh, they'll give you they'll give you good experiences. No yeah. doubt about it. Yeah. So, uh, anyways, we got some news bites. What do we got? We are heading into a wonderful time because it's the holidays. But I wanted to talk about just um, – I, I will just give credit to Seattle Met. They were talking about some people who had weathered you know, a lot of years. So I pulled a few more up. And it's interesting to see Lule has been going for five years now, which shocked me. Mm-hmm. Hitchcock has been going for eight. Spinasse, ten. Hotcakes, ten. Poppy, ten. Jewel, now Poppy seems like it's been there longer to me. Jewel, 11. Lark has been there 15 years. Marjorie has been there 15. Chaco Canyon has been there 15. 15? I didn't know those guys had been around yeah. for 15. Asagio has been there 25, and Palisade hit 26 this year. See, Palisade, I thought, was a little bit more than 26. I seem to remember my first meal there was maybe around 92. When you were six? I don't think so. You didn't even live here. Huh. <laughs> well, I don't know. Yeah, 92 would be 26, wouldn't it? Yeah. I don't know. No, you I can't might have do been there right anymore. Uh... Getting too old. 
All right. Well, on uh, back in November, the uh, group Together Seattle had their first event to raise funds for the Northwest Immigrants' Rights Project. And it had 140 restaurants involved, and they raised $57,230. So good. And uh, this, is a fam- this was a family-friendly... No, the family-friendly thing's coming up. Oh, okay. Uh, oh, I see. Coming up, they have a family-friendly event slated for May. And that'll be their next crack at raising more money for that Yeah, so foundation. that was kind of a... A couple of people, Erica Burke and a couple of people started that, and it went big, and they're doing some nice stuff. Um, the Manor House at Pleasant Beach Village on Bainbridge Island is planning some holiday fun. They've got five dates in December, and you can find these on the News Bites section of the um, Seattle Dining. But they've got five dates with three-course family-style dinners created by Chef Joe Benish for parties of 12 or fewer, and then um, twelve twenty one through twenty four, they're doing a special pre fee menu, so you can get more information online with us. On uh, oh, hold on, what's the state here? It says eleven thirteen. Yeah, on November thirteenth, they started this. They started okay. On November thirteenth um, was the start of the Tale Tuesdays mm-hmm. uh, at Poppy on Capitol Hill. Now celebrating. <laughs> Ten years. Congratulations, Poppy. Uh, Tolly's has ten different dish- dishes. These are Tolly's for two. What's a Tolly? It's a, a larger dish that they've got smaller dishes on, so you get a whole big thing with a bunch of different flavors and textures. You and- eat that family style? Well, this is Tolly's for two, so normally you can just get your own, but this Tolly Tuesday thing is a okay. two for two. Lots of teas going on here. Along yeah. with the Tolly, you can get eggplant fries or a bottle of wine, red, white, or sparkling. It's uh, only $35. Yeah. Yeah. 35 bucks. That's yeah, good. Wow. A bottle right. of wine and, and the Tolly's. Yeah, for two. Two Tolly's. Um, yeah. Or the eggplant fries. Your That's choice. That's a good deal. Are you a fry man or a wine man? I think we know the answer to that. Eggplant <laughs> or not. The Heathman Hotel Kirkland is bringing back their holiday tea for December, noon to four throughout December. It's got sweet items, savory items, and bubbles and other things to drink. $45 per person, 24, 20 for 12 and under. It's a nice tradition. All right. Um... Ron Holden's second edition of Forking Seattle is out with a history of Seattle's food scene, guide to best chefs, independent restaurant recommendations, and more. And more. Uh, you, can, uh, you, can order Forking, you can order it at ForkingSeattle.com or you can go on Amazon for the book in, hard, in hardcover. It's actually softcover. Uh, or the Kindle version. And the hardcover is twenty two ninety five. The Kindle version is a... Super deal at eight ninety nine. Yeah, you get over three hundred restaurant recommendations. Yeah, it's a good deal, and it's it's his look back at the history of how it's all happened. Part of which we've been running in Seattle dining is really interesting about Seattle's food history. Yeah, and so. it's it's fun to read it if you've lived here, and if you just moved here, you need to read it because if you don't know all the stuff that's in that book, we're going to revoke your citizenship. You're going to have to go back to Oregon or California. That's right. Maybe even Minnesota. So Tulalip, if you ever kind of follow what they're doing, they are always challenging each other to do something interesting. So for December, all of their food 
locations there on site. It's all about honey and spice. So they're saying, what can we do with honey and spice? So for one thing, they're doing honey and spice roasted sockeye salmon. They've got a deep fried lamb rib coated with wildflower honey and fresh garlic sauce. So each place has at least one item that does that. Okay. So you go there and go to all five places and try In it. one night. Yeah, that's good. Just stay overnight and do it, you know, just a culinary it's called, trip. called um, Spice Crawl. <laughs> Honey and Spice Crawl. <laughs> Honey and Spice Crawl at Tulalip <laughs> Resort. All right. Uh, Peroshki Peroshki has their holiday Kringle back. It's a northern European dessert. They make theirs with cinnamon, cardamom, orange peel, raisins, and a hint of cocoa. They braid it. They shape it into a wreath. You let it sit until the 26th, and then you eat it. <laughs> no, that, you let this sit around? I wouldn't. I would If I bought it, I'd eat it. You better eat it right then, yeah. huh? Okay. I don't think – if they do that in Northern Europe, that's okay. They can. We'll eat it right now. It doesn't have any sausage or anything in it, though. No, no, no it's meat. A, no, it's a dessert. Okay. So Cloud Nine Creamery in Tukwila is doing Dragon's Breath, which is liquid nitrogen puffs. And when you eat them, smoke comes out of your mouth and nose. So – it's really childish, and, and it really is fun. I was is this at, like vaping? No, okay, because it doesn't ever go down. <laughs> um, I was at an auction dinner that Jeff Maxfield did at Sky City, mm-hmm. and he did it with a cereal. I don't know. I don't even remember what it was, like Lucky Charms or something, and liquid nitrogen, and then you'd bite, and it would come out of your mouth. And you can imagine, you know, all these people sitting around having a lovely dinner up at Sky City, and we're like, rah, all raucous and smoke coming out of our noses. So I'd say go down and do this at Cloud Nine Creamery. And if you mention you heard it on Seattle Dining, they'll give you a dollar off. Ooh. Bonus, huh? Ooh. So head down. All right. Well, that's our news bites. We're going to take a little break. When we come back, we've got the calendar for December. Support for Seattle Dining and the Seattle Dining Show is provided in part by... Petra Mediterranean Bistro. Take a journey to Greece, Lebanon, Jordan, and the North Shore of Africa by way of Belltown as you dine in a welcoming atmosphere and experience the hospitality that Chef Call provides. Need a quick bite? Drop into the attached cafe or shop for authentic flavors in the adjoining store. Visit PetraBistro.com for more information. My name is Jordan from Twin Falls, Idaho, and I had an amazing food experience at Toulouse Petit. This is Christian from Traveri Cellars in Yakima, and you're listening to the Seattle Dining Show. show tom and connie and we are heading into the calendar section new calendar items go up all the time so check back with us at seattledining.com backslash calendar woo woo that's a christmas train coming into the calendar section i knew it was a train (laughs) didn't know it was a christmas train that's really exciting all right saturday december 1st dinner and japanese whiskey pairings at 6 p.m this is that. <laughs> Where is this, this at? Wild Ginger McKenzie. Wild Ginger McKenzie. Where's McKenzie? You know what? Um, it's in the 
on online. Is that it's the one that's... It's Belltown or... I haven't been oh, the yet. new one. The new one. I okay. don't know where the it is. The new Wild Ginger. It's... Yeah. This but could it's going to be... Oh, go ahead. I, I'm, sure, I'm not sure where it is. It's not on Third Avenue. It's a you know. It's no, not they Belton. just opened up a yeah. new one down in uh, uh, South Lake Union. Yes, so. thank you. That's what I'm trying to say. All right, so this is a four course meal. Original dishes by Chef Gian. I don't know how to pronounce that. Gian uh, or Gian? G i h a n. It's probably short for Genghis Khan. <laughs> uh, handcrafted cocktails showcasing whiskeys from the House of Suntory. It's only $75 a person, plus mm. tax and grat, because it's not included. Uh, Thai fish cake with coconut sauce, crispy, crispy duck roll, herbal Ayurvedic soup. Ayurvedic. See, that's why Connie's here, going to fix me on all those <laughs> mispronunciations. The ones I know. The ones I know. Herbal Ayurvedic soup. Ayurvedic. Ayurvedic. Aye, aye, Captain. <laughs> My lolly style beef wrapped with banana leaf and a pandan cake. Vegan menu also available on request. That sounds pretty tasty. Then the next day, on Sunday, December 2nd, Casper's does their annual gingerbread house classes. Classes at 10 and also at noon. Kids decorate their own houses with collections of supplies and candy and take their stuff home. I'm not exactly sure about that. The website says from ten to fifty-five dollars. So I don't know if you need to stand by your child and say no, you cannot put that on the house, you know, because that's going to shoot it to fifty-five dollars or what. But I guess there's a range there. Mm. Admission does include pastries, hot cider, and cocoa, and space is limited. So if you want to get your kid in there, you need to make a reservation. Yeah, quick before December second. Yeah, and you're hearing this quick. Yeah. Thursday, December 6th, Daniel's Broiler in Bellevue having their 11th annual holiday champagne dinner at 6 p.m. Louis Roder champagne offerings, including Cristal. wonder if they'll be drinking out of the Cristal. <laughs> uh, gourmet multi-course menu, including oysters, caviar, deviled eggs, almond-crusted sable fish, grilled escarole with mini lobster. Filet mignon, Oscar style, Meyer lemon tart. Well, you're starting to sound like things that uh, Grandma and Grandpa used to get. There. Yeah, it sounds good. 175 bucks a person plus the tax and gratuity. So bring yeah. your 401k with you. Exactly. Or on Saturday the 8th, you could go to the Art of Craft Crafting Whiskey Cocktails at Serafina Cicchetti. That's at 1 p.m., they're going to explore four whiskey-based cocktails and the spirits used. Four-course paired lunch, $80 per person, plus tax and grat. Sunday, December 9th, Auberge, Normandy, farm-to-table dinner, 5 to 9 p.m., celebrating the foods of Normandy, France. Warm camembert, camembert stuffed baby red potatoes, halibut cheeks, in lemon sauce, mussels a la Normandy. A la Normand. A la Normand. Chicken scallopini, Normandy style. Caramelized apple omelet. $89 for, per person. We don't know if that includes tax and grab. We do not. And also, that is also a country inn. So I think probably if you wanted to, you could do a dinner and an overnight. 
I don't know for sure, but you could check out their website. You know, I wonder which cheek on the halibut they use, because, you know, the one side of their face they slither along the bottom of the ocean floor with, and the other side of their face is the top of their head. Well, you know what? I'll bet it's like, uh, you know, um, something, what am I trying to say? Fatty on one side and really muscly like a Copper River salmon on the on the bottom side. But you know, if you go out in your submarine and you see a halibut with no cheeks, you know that he escaped the rest of the butchering. <laughs> oh, no. That just hurts to think about. Thanks for putting that in my mind. So I'm going to move on to get that, out, that visual out of my head to Monday, December 10th. There's a tamale-making party at Sizzle Works Cooking School from 6 to 9 p.m., Normally, we don't talk about uh, cooking classes because we could do, you know, 78,000 of them. They're mm-hmm. happening all over. But this sounded really fun. Making tamales is part of every Mexican Christmas feast. So you'll learn how to fill and roll tamales and make fresh salsas. They're doing bean and cheese tamales, chili verde, fresh guacamole, red and green salsas, churros, and leche quemada, which I do not know what it is. And that's 95 per person. How come you get all the ones with the easy words like guacamole and tamales, and and I have to do all the heavy-duty Normandy-style French stuff? You know what? It's it's the universe expanding your horizons. Mm, I guess that's why I keep doing this day after day. (laughs) Tuesday, December 11th, the Holiday Marketplace at Stoop Brewing, 4 to 8.30 p.m., this is going to be 11 local artists selling paintings, illustrations, wearable art, ceramics, and jewelry. Santa will be there in a picture-taking live action at $12 each. You can download them the next day. Uh, and this is celebrating the release of Stoops' Frost of the Snowman in Jamaican Lager. Now, see what? I didn't get what that was called. See, I didn't I understand the, I it. And you said it, and now snowman. I get it. Frost of the snowman. Not even French, and I got it. It's like a lowercase f, a large R, A S T. So I was like, I do not know what that means. Now you say it, and it makes sense. And of course, you get a food truck out front. So Lil mm. John Super Dogs are going to be parked out front. You can enjoy a gourmet dog with your Frost of the snowman. <laughs> <laughs> um. One of the things that's come in and is not up on the site yet, I'll get it up there, is a, a whiskey, an old-fashioned whiskey class at Eureka on the 18th, so you can check that out. Um, and then we're going to do some New Year's Eve events here, but we also got a farm-to-table Christmas menu from Copperleaf out at Cedarbrook mm. Lodge. So those two things will be up later, but also coming in. And then uh, we've got some... New Year's Eve, Manor House again on Bainbridge Island, 7 p.m., five-course tasting menu with wine parents, pairings. This is on the 31st. Live guitar music, dancing at 9 with a group called Cuban Heels. 120 per person, includes wine pairings, tax. It says includes wine pairings plus tax and grats. So I don't know if that means it includes that also or you have to add tax and grats. So you'll so have, to, have ask to ask them. Yeah. Uh, the Thompson Seattle... In the Nest and Scout PNW is going to be doing a pre-feed dinner at Scout, followed by music and sparkle, sparkle. at the Nest. Sparkle. 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 I spelled that right, right? Yes, I'm just making fun because it just sounds fun. <laughs> sparkle. 
Uh, where did we go here? DJ, DJ set and live performance from Talib Quilly. See, now you got see, me on the African words. See, I'm, you're expanding your horizons again. Uh, tickets I don't know. include a multi-course meal, entry to the nest party, entertainment, and midnight champagne toast, all for $220. Yes, for being part of the beautiful people. Or you could skip this regular scout dinner and sit at the chef's counter for $90 or more, depending on the wine pairings that you choose. This is going to be a limited seating. Does not include tax and gratuity. And the drinks at the nest are a la carte. Yep. <coughs> Isn't that interesting? It's 220 bucks, then you got to pay for drinks. We're not going, by well, the way. Well, it's just, you know, that special view that you get from yes. the nest. We've had um, the chef there on the show, if you guys go back a couple months, and he was he's a great guy. great. He's a good chef. I mean, really interesting food and a nice, a nice guy. So I'm sort of making fun because it's just so dang expensive, but then there you have it. Other places are too. Snoqualmie Casino is doing their New Year's Eve and calling it Midnight in Paris. 9.30 to midnight. It's a celebration of life, love, art, and Paris at nightfall. You can dance to a live DJ, which is good, I guess, better than a dead DJ. Um, roaming entertainers, <laughs> and there's other surprises. They didn't have a wake for the DJ. <laughs> yeah. The, the, uh, what they sent, honestly, was a little confusing in terms of what it costs, so I don't have a good answer for this, but the VIP table includes four seats, two bottles of, I don't know how to pronounce it, Vuv, Vuv, V-E-U-V-E, Clicquot, Private cocktail server. Can you imagine how many people they'd have to have working if every table for four had a private cocktail server? Wow. Access to Champagne Garden with $5 champagne special. You're going to have to call to find out what that is. A single ticket is $35 that includes the access to the Champagne Garden with a $5 champagne special. So I don't know if you have to just times that by four or what they're doing. So. Well, use a link in our... In our calendar online at seattledining.com. Find out how to contact them. Find out. Maybe it's got a link to their webpage by now to tell you more about it. Yes. All right. Uh, That's our calendar. Good Lord, if you're not going to do anything else, at least have a great Christmas dinner at home or somewhere out. Sometime during the the holiday season, do both. Yeah. Have a great Christmas. A great New Year's Eve one way or another as well. But we're not done yet. We've got an interview coming up, and uh, we'll be right back. Support for Seattle Dining and the Seattle Dining Show is provided in part by The Paragon Bar and Grill, your Upper Queen Anne destination for lunch, teeny time, evening entertainment, and weekend brunch. For two decades, The Paragon has served as the go-to neighborhood location while welcoming others from all over the Pacific Northwest and beyond. Visit them online today at ParagonSeattle.com. Hi, this is Heather, and if you're ever out in Yakima, be sure to visit Zesta Cucina. They have wonderful Italian dishes and other various foods to try. Hi, this is Eric Radovich, Executive Director of the Washington Beer Commission. You're listening to the Seattle Dining Show.
the Seattle Dining Show, Tom Marin and Connie Adams, and we have our special guest with us, Mina Williams, owner of Blanc and Rouge, a wine shop and wine bar in Snohomish, Washington. Welcome. Thank you, Connie. Yes. So <laughs> glad to have you here. And for those of you listening, and that means all of you, uh, Mina has brought some friends along. So we're going to be talking about wine for the holidays, and she has brought six wines that we will be talking about, and we're we're going to quiz her unmercifully about what's going to, she's looking frightened now, um, <laughs> about what goes with turkey, prime rib, ham, lobster, crab, are lobster and crab different in terms of what they should have paired, things like that. So we're going to just see what she has to say so you are prepared for the holidays. All right. Well, for one thing, holiday meals are some of the most difficult to pair wines with. Yeah. Uh, you'd think, oh, turkey, yeah, that's that's easy. Chardonnay, no big deal. But that doesn't take into account cranberries, yes, cheesy potatoes, green bean casserole that yeah. are all being enjoyed with the turkey. The same wine. And may or may not especially go with a wine that you have picked for the turkey. Yeah. So, um, but at least Thanksgiving and Christmas and New Year's meals are just like any other meal that you would be enjoying any time during the year. And what I do is I usually just um, put all that in a blender and then I find a wine that goes with whatever comes out of the blender. Ew. Uh, now, we were going to invite you for Thanksgiving, but you're looking busy. Yeah, I think I have previous engagements. <laughs> <laughs> but just like any meal, uh, you have to develop a wine strategy. Okay. So you can just pick your wine like Tom does. Um or you can do something I call coursework, where you're going to be serving courses and you'll oh, have okay. a wine that pair with, with each. each course. Or you just kind of get some reds, get some whites and... Let people have what they want. Let it happen. Um, and then there's Choose Your Own Adventure, oh. which uh, is my idea of... Guests get two or three glasses put in front of them, uh -huh. and sometimes you have to buy some extras, but, you know, it's fine because they do break. Um, <laughs> and then you put down five or six bottles and just let people have some yeah. fun, yeah. you know, different flavors, different textures. So, um, And if they're interested in wine in general, that would be very fun. Yeah. Because then they could say... Well, I'm going to take these two and try them both with this dish mm -hmm. and see which one goes better. So or if of... people who are new to it, wine lovers, um, they can just try it and go, no, that's not my thing. Yeah, that's right. So that that situation of choose your own adventure sort of meets both ends into the middle. Yeah. yeah. Um, but in my heart, you can never go wrong with bubbles. Whether it's champagne mm -hmm. or cremant, uh, sparkling white wine or Prosecco mm -hmm. uh, or Cava from yeah. Spain. Um, we were trying to figure out at the store the other day what doesn't go with champagne. And we have been unable to come up yeah. with that. Um, we even considered sawdust. But <laughs> But, you know, it only made it better. <laughs> it will. It will. So We were at a restaurant in Portland one time, and I just started out as my 
my first drink of the evening. I just had some sparkling wine. Mm -hmm. And then I was, I got my, I had a halibut or something. And I was like, do I want to go to, you know, like a white or what do I want to do? And I kind of quizzed the guy who was waiting on us and he goes, Honestly, you just can't go wrong with sparkling. I would stick with it. Yeah, I, I'm in that line. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that's one one very easy selection that you can just can't put down for the whole yeah. night. And it would be great. It would be great with cranberries. It would be great with green bean casserole. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, everything, you know, the smokiness of a ham, yeah. um, the boldness of the roast beef. Yeah. You know, it, it's... It's a chameleon. It, yeah. Sparkling is a certainly great strategy. Um, another kind of fun thing around the Thanksgiving time is Beaujolais Nouveau, oh, yeah. which will be released on November 15th. Um, it's fruity and fruit forward and flavorful and it just it meets all the marks for a turkey dinner. Yeah, uh, when you have the conflicting cranberry and ham mm-hmm. issue. <laughs> now, just to sort of sidetrack a little bit on the Beaujolais Nouveau, it's not Tom's favorite. He thinks it's what is it too light? I like the Gamay. The Gamay and great. There's a Beaujolais Nouveau. Okay, and then the Beaujolais Nouveau has a big brother, oh. uh, the Beaujolais. Oh, Beaujolais Village, or and these are from France. Okay. Um, then the Beaujolais is a more serious wine than the Nouveau, oh, which okay. is meant when you pick that bottle up on Thursday the fifteenth, <laughs> drink it uh, that day. It's not that meant moment. to be saved. Do not save it. Okay. <laughs> and it's really it's light and bouncy. Um, it's kind of. A chameleon like the champagne would be. It goes with a lot of different things. And Tom, you may not like it because it almost has an unfinished taste. Um, It it just seems like that kind of wine that you'd walk into the village with your jug and open the spigot and the big (laughs) barrel. (laughs) But I'm I'm spoiled because um, my first experience with Beaujolais Nouveau was a Gamay out of Oregon, and uh, it was delightful. And then I had some French Beaujolais Nouveau after that, and I I just never thought it ever stood up to what I tasted that time out of Oregon. Mm, Maybe you're a New World guy. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, I would think, yeah. He loves Washington Isn't it wonderful that there's so many wines? There'll be something for everyone. Exactly. And some things you will like uh, a lot. And you gravitate toward those, and then there are others that, you know, kind of, meh. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. It's like, not again. So, yeah. So, well, we have a few friends here. All right. Um, So the first one that we have is a Riesling. And, Tom, you'll like this. It's from Oregon. Oh, it (laughs) smells great. But it's an almost dry Riesling, Almost dry Riesling. Um, I particularly like this. This is a Montanori estate. Mm. Um, it's to me, it's everything that Riesling in the New World can be. You're not getting a lot of the mineral mm-hmm. flavors that you would get from a German Riesling from the Mosel or the Rheingau. Mm-hmm. Um, so 
you know, this to me is very food friendly. Yeah. It has to me a smoky um, aroma. Yeah. Just but a, I don't really get smidge. it when I taste it. Yeah. And we are tasting, so if there are long pauses and then we go away, we're, we're sorry. Slurping. <laughs> we meant to finish the show, but we finished the bottle of wine instead. Drinking mm. on the job. Yeah, self-employment. It's really great. That's very nice. There are more friends. Many um, more. I now, brought... what would you serve that with? You think turkey that... dinner? Okay, with a full turkey. Yeah. And um, it it can stand up to the the cranberries, mm. um, which are very very tart. Mm-hmm. That wonderful pouring sound. Yeah, isn't that great? Now this is another Montanori. <laughs> this is an, also a Montanori. This is a Pinot Gris. Mm. This next wine. Um, the lovely thing about Oregon Pinots. Um, which is the same grape as the Italian Pinot Grigio. Oh, okay. So it's the same thing. Yeah. But the Oregon Pinots, they have this sprightly acid that you mm. don't often get from the Italian. And then there's a little hint of spice. And there's a little bit of honey yeah. in the background there. So. Yeah. It it again goes with a wide variety of foods, yeah. you know, cheesy potatoes, um, yeah. with or without fried onions. <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting. It's a very mellow wine. It's not um, sharp in any way. No, I don't think. it's nice and round, but yeah. it has that bright acid that mm-hmm. just kind of makes you really happy. Now, would that work with a green salad also and a vinegar dressing? Yes. Okay, mm-hmm. because of that acid. Yeah. Okay. So, hmm, right. another sip of this. <laughs> Definitely. Mm. We're, we're taking our leftovers, for those of you who aren't here, all of you, and um, dumping them in our little dump bucket. So I think afterwards we'll have a party with the leftovers. Ooh. We'll just... <laughs> You're kind of back to Tom and his blender. I'm I'm dumping all mine in the cat's water dish. <laughs> that will keep them quiet for days. So the next thing that I brought, um, Cabernet Franc is one of those grapes that is very good with roasted poultry. Mm. And Vapiano from Washington. Wow. Yeah. Uh, Walla Walla grapes or Columbia? uh, Yakima. Yakima. So a little bit smaller area than Columbia. Um, Vapiano makes this rosé out of Cab Franc. Mm. So it has enough of a backbone. It -hmm. it isn't the ethereal rosé from Provence Mm -hmm. um, or in that style. Um, And this rosé... Being made of Cab Franc has a backbone to stand up to a smoked turkey mm, okay. or ham. I mean, there's it's it's not a little wimpy wine. Mm. That's very nice. Mm-hmm. Of course, I said that about the other two, so clearly I, I just like I, wine. You have not met a wine you don't like, Connie. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> but um, rosé is another one of those... Gee, I want 
a bottle of wine to go with dinner, I don't know what dinner is going to be. Oh, it's a great hostess gift probably too. Yes, yes. And wonderful to come home from work and open a bottle and start cooking. <laughs> mm, that's an idea. So, And if, also you're saying any time of year because sometimes people say, oh, I just want a crisp rosé in the summer. Well, and when you run across something like this Cabernet Franc mm-hmm. from Vapiano, um, this is not a light, frivolous no. wine. Mm-mm. There's some depth to it. Um, there's definitely some fruit flavors, um, where an awful lot of times the rosés that you would love to enjoy on your porch are going to be light and crisp mm-hmm. and refreshing and maybe a little bit of strawberry. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes you yeah. feel like you're eating a bowl of strawberries yeah. that's so yeah. bright. Mm-hmm. Um, but it depends on the style and the flavors. Okay. It's definitely a darker color. I mean, not yeah, it's deep like, dark, but it's It's a, like salmon. Yes, exactly. So yeah, it's not a little girl's pale pink ribbon yeah it's definitely has something going there (laughs) Mm. it would still be good on its own but i can see how it would be great with a little bird yeah so the next one also a montanori i was oh well shopping the washington shelf (laughs) before i brought before i made my final selections um Montanori Estate from Willamette Valley, it's Pinot Noir. Mm. Um, Pinot is a light-skinned grape, so it's a lot lighter than a Cabernet Mm -hmm. or a Merlot. So things like good old Pacific Northwest salmon. Mm. Yes. Perfect with with the Pinot Noir. And some people... Don't want the ham, don't want the turkey, and we'll do a full salmon. Mm-hmm. Yep, I have heard of that. <laughs> um, or someone might do a turkey and a salmon, mm-hmm. tipping the hat to our Northwest sensibilities. So that's why I threw the Pinot in. Yeah. It's, um, it's silky, and it has enough acid mm. to stand up to a fatty ham. Not that hams are fatty, yeah. but they have that luxurious yeah. quality. Now, let me ask you this about Pinot Noir. Um, sort of traditional Pinot is pretty light and, and more on fruit forward, isn't it? Well, and Washington wines and, and even Oregon, depend, depending on how they're made. I know of one Oregon Pinot that's very light, mm-hmm. um, but... A lot of there's, Washington. There's Pinot. different styles, and it depends yeah. on which clone of grape oh, okay. is being used. Okay. Um, Pinot comes from Burgundy. Mm-hmm. Even from the north part of Burgundy to the south, the styles are going to be different. Yeah. You know, some are going to be more earthy, um, brambly, and others are going to be light. Okay. And um, then you get to Oregon, and it's totally different. Yeah. You can get deep, dark, full, rich, yeah. and uh, also the Californians. Yeah. So they also, the American Pinots, run the full gamut. Um, it's not as refined and elegant. It's a little more soulful. Yeah, robust. Um, 
Yes, very robust. Um, I guess I was thinking that, like, like the sparkling, like champagne rules. Mm-hmm. You know, there are so many precise winemaking rules in France that I thought maybe they all had to be made in that style. And then it's kind of it, all over the it map. It all and... comes down to where they came from okay. and what so it's just the... It's the dirt okay. and the vines Okay, will kind okay. of give you the flavor. Okay. Um, and then if you can't make up your mind between the old world and the new world Willamette, mm-hmm. the other new world, New Zealand, oh. has a whole different take on it. Oh, really? Where they have a lot of the flavors of the old world, mm-hmm. but a lot of the production techniques and um, the the steering of flavors that we have in the new world. Oh, okay. So don't overlook or underestimate yeah. the New Zealand. I, I call that the best of breed. <laughs> um, you know, it's partially old world, partially new yeah. world in flavor and style. Oh, wow. But Pinot's my favorite. Uh, yeah. Because it is like champagne, very versatile. Yeah. So I thought you might like it because you took that sip and your eyes kind of rolled back. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that happens a lot. Mm. Mm. We all think that's nice. <laughs> that is a tasty one. Thank you, Montanori. Hmm. Mm. Okay, so now Tom will not like this one. Uh oh. But we'll see. I should have brought it in a brown bag so he couldn't see <laughs> that, it it, that it's French and it is Gamay. Uh, oh. But this is a higher level of Gamay. This is a village designate, mm. um, which just means it's kind of the big brother oh, of the okay. Nouvelle. That's what yeah. village is. Yeah. It's it's very specific, can only come from certain villages okay. in the Beaujolais region. Okay, because I see village on, on whites and Yeah, it just tells and... you where it's from. Okay. It's really fun with French wines. You know, fourth grade school children in Paris know that uh, Bourgogne is a Cap Franc, oh, but okay. they don't put it on the label. They put the village oh. or the town oh, okay. on the label. Oh. And us Americans are supposed to know. Yeah. Oh, I remember that, that little. Yeah, they can only grow a certain grape in their village. Oh, wow! Uh, for export and production. Yeah. So wow. it's it's nothing very mystical. It's yeah. just how they order things. Yeah. But we don't have all that memorized. Yes. Nor do we know how to use the. Uh, milligrams and kilograms and right. Well. Yeah. <laughs> we're, we're losing out in so many ways. So cheers on this. Mm. I can't wait to hear what Tom thinks. He's coming, uh, he's coming over to give his... We only have two microphones right now, so that's why we're <laughs> dancing back and forth. Uh, I think it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing more specific than that? Too light, too heavy, too... I might have to leave this one until he loves it. <laughs> it's kind of almost like a floral taste on my palate when it goes in. Um, yeah, like violets. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. kind of pansy-like. You know, this other, uh, what is it, Montanori? Mm-hmm. 
Oh, man, that had the nicest, smokiest ash on it, on the nose. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I like this, the Gamay. Mm-hmm. We had a thanks early Thanksgiving dinner with our staff from Blanc and Rouge uh, last night, and we drank a lot of Gamay. Oh, because <laughs> oh, you made a turkey. Yeah. 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 It was, it was great fun. We started with champagne, of course. Of course. That's the best way to start a meal. Mm. Yeah, I like that. So the next one, this is really an outlier. Mm. Um, some people will agree with my decision. To bring a Zinfandel. Oh. So there are two types of Zinfandel. There's the high-octane, chest-thumping, high-alcohol, <laughs> fruity, great-with-grilled-ribs style. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then there is the other, which this one is. Okay. Uh, this is Transcend from California. Um, and it's a blend mm. um, with 80% Zinfandel and then a little bit of Syrah and a drop of Petite Syrah and Cabernet. That's really interesting. It's like smoky and heavy and almost sweet. Mm-hmm. I like it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but compared to a classic Zinfandel, this is lighter. It's almost infused with raspberries. Yeah. Um, and it goes well with a turkey and all the trimmings. I can wow. taste mashed potatoes with this. Oh, yeah. And it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> um, but again, mashed potatoes with anything. That's I, true. More butter. Yeah. Just more just butter. butter. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah. Mm. Zinfandel. Kind yeah. of the, the sleeper yeah. that nobody thinks about. Um, what was the deal? I don't even – I rarely see this anymore, but it used to be white zin. And, every, and then oh, everybody's like, don't do that. Well, certain grandmas love their white zin. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's an old-fashioned – It was kind of one of those things that came on after Prohibition – Oh. Um, it's sweeter, decidedly so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and um, a good number of people still enjoy that. Yeah. Um, or they wouldn't be making it. Yeah, it wouldn't be around so, still. Like I said before, there's something for everyone. Yes. You just have to know where their lane is. Yeah. And And I would just put a little plug in here for your shop because that's one of the reasons – People should go to Blanc and Rouge because you guys know all this, and they you can find out what people kind of enjoy, and maybe we certainly have that, but we could steer you this way. It would be pretty good. And then on Thursdays and Fridays, you do tastings, mm-hmm. so people can come in and get a taste of something, um, and they can certainly come to a class. So they could find out. If they don't know now, they can come and really sort of play Mm-hmm. And then find out what they would sort of like. And that would help, too, when they're planning a meal. Any meal, but holidays especially. A good number of our customers come in and say, we don't like you. You've 
elevated our drinking. <laughs> we, oh, we pay so much more now. <laughs> I did. We used to. There was a group that used to get together and do tastings, and one of my friends said. I'll tell you what I've learned from all these is that if you pay more than $10 for a bottle of wine, you can really get some good stuff. Yeah. It was like, oh, my God. <laughs> and that will lead me into my final question for you um, in terms of price ranges. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of what we've tried here, what do these kind of range oh from? Oh, my gosh. Um, the Pinot Gris is under 15 The Riesling is under 15 The Vapiano Rosé is 22 um, at my store, mm-hmm. at Blanc and Rouge, um, the Pinot Noir, those are always a little more spendy because mm-hmm. growing Pinot is so difficult. The grapes right. are worth a lot of money. So I believe that one is under 25 mm. um, as is the the French uh, Gamay. Gamay. Um, the Transcend is 15 Oh, wow. So all of these are very reasonably priced, actually. Yeah. Um, If you want to move up to the $25, and $50, Mm -hmm. um, there are Pinot Noirs and Rieslings that can um, fit those price points. Okay. Um, And more in the Pinot range. The Burgundies can be quite expensive. Yeah. Wow. But turkey wine is... It can be easy. Yeah. Very easy. People See? should not be frightened. One that I didn't bring is Dolcetto from Italy, which mm. loosely translates uh, f- to little sweet one. Yeah. And the, the berries, the fruit is like cherry, raspberry. Um, it has a higher acid and mm-hmm. a little bit of tannin. Oh, okay. That was another staff favorite at our oh, early Thanksgiving dinner. dinner last night. All right. <laughs> Yay. So many options. Oh, yeah. All right. Mina, thank you so much for coming. Well, thank you for having me. Absolutely. And um, people get out to Blanc and Rouge. It's a just a really lovely, very European feel uh, store. It's, it's comfortable the minute you walk in. And we are going to do a full story on Blanc and Rouge. So look for that in an upcoming issue of Seattle Dining. Thank you, Connie. Thank you, you Tom. Thanks for being here. All right, we'll take a break and be right back. Support for Seattle Dining and the Seattle Dining Show is provided in part by Salty Seafood Waterfront Restaurants. Visit them on the water at their Alki, Redondo, and Portland locations. Hi, this is Lisa from Woodenville. Um, my favorite restaurant here in the Woodenville area is Russell's, uh, located near Bothell. And one of the things I really like about the restaurant is it really reflects the Northwest, what we have to offer here, and um, has some very unique items on the menu. Hi, this is Amanda Bevel from World Spice, and you're listening to the Seattle Dining Show. special guest, Ronald Holden, who has the second edition of Forking Seattle coming out right now, correct? Right now, right and now. this is your first official podcast about the new book. The first one. The first one. I love it. 
And it is a new book, truly. You've got some, you've, you've added a lot. I, I listened to hey, what Hey, wait people... a second. I'm running this interview. I know. I, just, I got going. I got We're going. here celebrating. I listened to what people said to me about the first one, ah. which was, why don't you tell us some of your favorite restaurants? And the other was, how did we get here? Ah. So the first half of the book is the history of food in Seattle. I love that. And the history of food in Seattle, I start with the Missoula floods. <laughs> there you go. But That's what a, brought all the cows down to this area, right? There's a reason for that, and it is that where we live here in Seattle is almost entirely an accident of geography. Ah. <clears throat> We're supposed to be near the ocean, right? Yeah. The accident of geography is that we have, we have lots of freshwater and inlets and places where oysters can grow and salmon can migrate to safety in the freshwater mm-hmm. and the shallower streams so they don't get eaten mm-hmm. at mm-hmm. sea. Oh. And, and then because of the way the Columbia River flows through the plateau of eastern Washington, there are all these scarified ridges that – where nothing ever grew the until scablands. the scablands, the scablands, and, and it is only with irrigation that we now have crops there. Oh. Mm-hmm. And those crops are, of course, tree fruit and apples and cherries and grapes and... Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and grain. it's all good and stuff. Grain. And grain. grain, yes. So we have to actually celebrate the people who created irrigation systems, too. That, too. Yeah. Yeah. Third book, third edition. That'll go in. That will come. Thank goodness for <laughs> Banks Lake. <laughs> Man, oh, no, it's not actually man-made. It was actually part of the river before the river broke the wall where the dam is now and readjusted itself wider out toward uh, Wenatchee. Way up there. So yeah. so, anyways, uh, second edition. Uh, now, the first edition came out about what two years ago. The first edition was two years ago. So, where does the line form for all the people with the first edition to get the second edition at no additional charge? <laughs> <laughs> Not good. You can you can write to me at getforking at gmail dot com, and and. Uh, I will answer those. Okay. <laughs> and he's going to take it on a case-by-case basis. So, That's right. You know, no class action lawsuits allowed. Um, let's see. The, uh, the, the, the new book, the new version, which is now 382 pages, formerly was, what, about 200 and something? Just under 300, I think. Okay. And uh, now it's uh, retail on the... Soft cover is twenty two ninety five. Only eight ninety nine from Amazon as a Kindle edition. That's right. And so, uh, how come? Why not? I, you know, they'll let you go as far as nine nine ninety nine. Why not nine ninety nine? I should have done nine ninety nine. Uh, okay. Well, get it, get uh, it quick regret. before he changes his mind. <laughs> Regrets. You know, though, I I will say that I think personally it's worth spending the money for the paperback because for me, with a book like this, I want to go back and I want to find stuff. And I want to look at a specific restaurant you might have talked about or a history or the 50s instead yep. of the 80s. And that's hard to do on a Kindle. At least mine. I have the low it, I agree. Kindle. I mean, but any Kindle, just to, just to source into a particular area of the book is not easy yeah. to do. So, this, is, this is true. If, you, if you're a person who just loves to read front-to-back 
get the Kindle. But otherwise, it's kind of nice to jump around. I have friends who actually buy the Kindle, but they eat uh, all kinds of weird food, too. (laughs) (laughs) Those would be your Have I been cooking for them? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, 300, uh, so this one has the addition of 300 restaurant recommendations. And let's just make it clear, although the book is about the history of food in Seattle and the area, uh, those 300 restaurant recommendations are currently open for business, right? Those are restaurants that are currently open. So we're not going to tell people to go to... Uh, the Dog House. The Dog House. Well, the Dog House does show up, but oh, it's yeah. part of the history of food in exactly. Seattle. I tell you, I miss the Dog House. Wow. <laughs> now, um, in the press release, you do talk about what, what your uh, qualifications are for a restaurant you would recommend. But go ahead and, and tell the listeners. Well, I look at restaurants as being one of three body types. There's the big corporate restaurant mm-hmm. uh, where everything is on in a, in a book somewhere. But the ones that I like are the smaller ones, the mom and pops, mm-hmm. where you have uh, dad at the door and, and, yeah. and uh, junior behind the bar and mama mm-hmm. in the kitchen. Those are the places where you find the the most genuine hospitality. Yeah. The old Mama Molina. Well, the old Mama Molina, or it's it's, it's in new. fact it's it's not its I want to call it its successor, but Mama Enza Sorrentino, oh, mm-hmm. yeah. who 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 has outlived Mama Molina. <laughs> yes, that's right. Mama Molina went back to Italy. Uh, she helped her son set up her, the restaurants here in town. Mm-hmm. The original Mama Molina, there was Leo's, there was there's Barolo, there's mm-hmm. Cinque Terre. Uh, and um, those are fine Italian restaurants. Mm-hmm. And the, the Varchetta brothers are doing a good job running those today. And Enzo Sorrentino has uh, this little place in Magnolia mm-hmm. that not enough people know about. And how long has that been there? It's been ages. It has been there 15 years 15 at least. Years. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. And have I been? I don't believe so. I went with a friend one night, and I've been there other times, but I don't think I've ever been there with you. And, and, and let's just make it clear that most of the restaurants we talk about on the show, I've never been to. <laughs> <laughs> It's part of our charm, really. <laughs> well, the nice thing about this particular restaurant, aside from the fact that I, I'm by now a friend of that family, mm-hmm. is really the quality of the food, that it is all homemade, mm-hmm. handmade, fresh every day or every other day. Locally sourced. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. And you have a particular thing you like there, too, don't you? Well, I think the lasagna at, at uh, Mondello is one of the top... 21 best things to eat in Seattle. Wow. And and I this is another little part of the book that there is a the 21 best things to eat in Seattle. Oh, that's uh, a fun, and a fun another list. one would be something like like the um, the gâteau au foie de volaille at Le Pichet and oh. Cafe Press. Um, so that sort of thing mm-hmm. That, mm-hmm. that that is really unique. mm mm-hmm. Mhm. They also have a great story, like Enza's story is great, and, you know. It is, that's true. Jim Droman's story is great. And the and Jim Droman story, which is the story of an engineer at Boeing who got bored and decided to change careers and then moved to Paris mm-hmm. and enrolled himself into the École Supérieure mm-hmm. de, uh, de Cuisine. And bought beer for the other students because he was so old. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> and then they helped him with his work. 
<laughs> and he was so old he couldn't find his way back to Seattle, and he landed in Walla Walla? No. No, this is a different... Le Piché. Oh, Le Piché. This is okay. Jim Droman. Uh, and and he's he's one of the heroes of, of food in Seattle. Mm-hmm. And another one who came through, Campagna. Also Campagna, yes, yeah. yes, yes. So I have a question. There was a peasant boy from Tuscany who wrote the manifesto for America's farm-to-table movement. Who was that, and where can I get a copy of that manifesto? Well, that was Angelo Pellegrini, who moved to uh, Washington State from Tuscany, uh, to uh, with his with his father who was an engineer and who worked on the Grand Coulee Dam and then oh, wow. worked on worked on hydraulic projects in in uh, uh, Western Washington as well. Uh, Angelo Pellegrini taught himself English. Uh, he flunked a spelling bee because he spelled scissors s i z z e r s. That's yet, right. Today, <laughs> today that would be acceptable. <laughs> we would understand that. And this gentleman became a professor of classics at the University of Washington. Wow. And he wrote a series of books uh, about the pleasures of sharing food mm. and growing your own food. And he, he wanted people to dig up their backyards and plant gardens of, wow. of vegetables. And and How when they when they'd done that, then he'd want him to do the front yard. Yeah, <laughs> and and use this use the curbside area while you're at it too, and put little no doggy signs up. He was a, he was a genius, and and his books were were long out of print, but Pellegrini, you can look him up in in the on Amazon. Well, I might and, be able to find the books in the library at the University of Washington. Maybe. Undoubtedly. Mm. Probably going to make me sign my life away to take him out of there for yeah, a week. You probably don't get to take him out. Ruth Reichel championed him. Oh, really? And uh, and kind of shamed his publisher into re-releasing the books. So they are available. They are once oh, again. Okay, good. Yeah, good. yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Lean, lean years, happy years was the first. Okay. And it it was it was it championed this very Italian concept of la cucina povera. Cooking of the poor, mm-hmm. of necessity. Mm-hmm. Sounds like paella to me. <coughs> yeah, and a number of other dishes. Like, uh, what's the the pasta I like so much? I'm blanking now. Puttanesca. Puttanesca, which is Venetian. Is it? Well, it's Venetian because the puta, which means prostitute, mm-hmm. was what they would eat. They would eat this to to become a little stronger. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I actually thought it was originally like the cheapest scraps kind of thing that they put together. Was that too. Okay. And, and a lot of anchovies, and yeah. people today don't like anchovies. Yeah. But. So <laughs> anchovies are like salt, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they're better with salt, aren't they? No, oh, you wouldn't. They're so salty. <laughs> In fact, I'd like to brine them real good. <laughs> yes, I do. Um, uh, so uh, when we – first of all, when someone picks up this book or sees the cover, uh, it looks a little bit bold to say on the front cover, Seattle's foremost indie food writer. But uh, uh, I'm, I'm here to say it myself. That's probably correct. <laughs> Um, Ronald writes for us. He writes for Forbes. He writes for name a few more. I used to write a lot for Crosscut, 
and I used to write, uh, and I still write for Seattle Business Magazine, mm-hmm. yeah. and for my own blogs, mm-hmm. uh, but I'm not on staff anywhere. Uh, I was at Seattle Weekly, mm-hmm. where I created their first food pages, oh, wow. but uh, that was a long time ago. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But you've been around the block. There's no doubt about it. Several times. I get lost a lot. And uh, we, we really love having your stories. And, and I know the last couple of months we've been running uh, a series that you've put together on the 80s. And uh, I guess that's all part yeah, of the book here, right? Book. It is in the book. Yeah. yeah. Okay, good. So a lot of people it, it have enjoyed pre- preceded by the 70s mm-hmm. and followed by the 90s. <laughs> well, I guess I know what we're going to be running <laughs> in. amazing. Uh, I guess I know we'll be running January, February, huh? and maybe well, we'll get to the two thousands. No, we've got something else going for December, don't we? I don't. We, we might. Oh, we no, we might have gone a, we might have gone nineties. Yeah, yeah. We'll get it in there. Yeah, but but you don't have to wait because you can go out and get the book now. Um, now here's something about the villains: uh, 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 remote. Private equity funds that carelessly suck the life out of local brands. Can you give us an example of when that's ever happened in Seattle? <laughs> <laughs> a, a good example would be Hagen's, mm. uh, which was a market in Bellingham uh, and the Hagen family that uh, they had a lot of stores, they had valuable real estate. In fact, there are people who will tell you that the only value of a grocery chain, supermarket chain is the real estate. Well, maybe, maybe not. But Hagen's, uh, they decided the time had come to sell the company. Mm. There were not uh, youngsters who wanted to uh, Take take over. So they looked around for a buyer, and uh, the buyer they found was a one of these investment firms. Ah. So they they prepared to sell, and at about that time, Safeway and Albertsons were doing a merger deal. Mm-hmm. And the Federal Trade Commission said, well, we'll approve this, but you have to spin off uh, a couple dozen of the Albertsons stores, like even 50 of them. Wow. Mm-hmm. Because they were too close to because, each other. Because there were, yeah, they, yeah. They'd have monopoly on groceries yeah. in a single neighborhood. So uh, what happened was that, that the, the deal then became that Hagen's would take over the stray Albertsons. Yeah. But this meant that the company was like overnight, going to have three times as many oh. stores. Yeah, cash flow would have been horrendous, and you're talking about an investment company, my Lord. So what they did was, well, they said, yeah, okay, we'll do it. <laughs> at, at which point, Albertson says, oh, really? We got a way, we know how to take care of you guys. So there were these suits and countersuits about falsified invoices and about restraint of trade and, and one thing and another. Oh and the God. upshot was that uh, they declared bankruptcy. They've and, been looking for a way out anyways. Well, Are you talking about Hagen's did or Albertson's did? Well, no, no. Albertson's was now the surviving company of the merger with Safeway. Yeah. So even though it says Safeway on the... Oh, Albertson owned Albertson's it? Albertson's owned Safeway. Oh. Um, 
and and Hagen's was in the toilet. Yeah. Well, along comes a savior, and the savior is yet another uh, investment company that also happens to own Albertsons. <laughs> oh man! So everyone wins except the. Thousands of people who had jobs that yeah. lost their jobs, yeah. just totally lost their jobs. And the, uh, the union, the union which should have been looking out for them, said, oh, we're sorry about that. And the Federal Trade Commission said, well, these things don't always work out, you know. Yep. And wow. on a local basis, the, the oddity was that they shut the Safeway down on Aurora and Ballinger Way. Mm-hmm. They kept the Albertsons open. They turned that Safeway into a Hagen's. Nenat failed, and they closed it up. And what did it become? A Safeway. It became a Safeway again. And what did they do with the Albertsons down the road? They shut it <gasps> down. So oh, just man. more money going out when not a lot of money's coming in. The, the survivor through all of that was Starbucks, who maintained a kiosk in both <laughs> Safeway, uh. Hagen's, and again, Safeway. <laughs> So, totally, you know, they had to take their sign up and down three times (laughs) off the building. I hope that was national sign. I know those guys. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Let's see. Okay, so then uh, uh, we talk about Seattle's oyster bars, the coffee culture, and then here it says the faux parlors. Do you really want to talk about the faux parlors in Seattle? Mm. Are are they really, like, There There are as many faux parlors as there are Starbucks. Yeah. Uh, and it's four or five dozen, uh, and and they're sort of two main families: the the tr- the Tan brothers mm-hmm. and and the people who own Fo Bac, oh, yeah. uh, which is now the younger generation uh, uh, Fo Bac Sup Shop. It's a natural wine bar. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. So, where tell me where to go for pho, because I can't go to any of those places, because they're just sub... Actually... Uh, if I went in the kitchen, I know I'd be horrified. Well, then go to Bob Bar. Okay. There yeah. you go. You know, there's three Bob Bars, and there's two Monsoons, and they're all of the totally highest quality. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Monsoons, I've, I've been to. I've got uh, a list of 35 of what I'm calling the top 35... Uh, restaurateurs in Seattle. Right. So a place with one store, uh, like Marmite, mm-hmm. uh, and a place that has 14, 15 stores, like Tom Douglas, mm-hmm. they're in that same list because it's it's more about the hospitality. Right. How about, um, I live up here in Broadview, and we're recording tonight in the Crow's Nest. Uh, and anybody who knows Ronald knows he's a, a big Negroni nut. And we're all <laughs> sipping on Negronis as we record. So um, I guess that means we'll use a photo of a Negroni when we put this up on Seattle Dining. <laughs> um, but anyways, uh, so up here in Broadview, uh, there's a gentleman by the name of Greg Beak who owns Saltoro and Bix Broadview Grill. He also owns what used to be called the West Seattle Kitchen, but now it's called something similar to that. Is it West? It's not West Five, is it? No, uh-uh. okay. but it's over in that area. Uh, but you're not familiar with who I'm talking about. I am not. Okay. Well, he's next on your list then because he's uh, right. kind of under under the radar guy but has a history that's 
two decades old in this neighborhood for mm-hmm. sure. And uh, does quite a good job. His staff is always well-trained. Uh, it's the kind of stuff you you know th- that you see from, say, the Davis family or from mm-hmm. Tom Douglas. Yeah. Really good job of training. And uh, we were talking earlier on the show about how well-trained a lot of r- restaurant people are here in Seattle compared to what we just experienced on a trip to L.A. So, you know, we've, we've Greg complained on before your about service. I hear other people complain about service in Seattle, but compared to what we just went through, it was like, hmm? you know, it's not bad here. <laughs> you need that comparison sometimes. That's true. Yeah. The other thing about um, Saltoro and Bix is that we'd love to, if, if they're really successful and they've been here long enough that you think they are, they're open like from five to nine. That's it. Yeah. Oh. It's not, you know. Well, they say 10. Okay, but well, if there's nobody in there at 930, they start yeah. shutting down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <clears throat> so, you know, not a bad life if you can. If you can do it. Prep that and just have four hours. I'm, I'm thinking labor costs would be down. Kind of be great for the staff because they're, well, it's probably great for the staff because they're probably all part-time. Oh, they probably all have two or three other jobs. Yeah, which also <laughs> means that he doesn't have to pay him any benefits. <laughs> no wonder he's doing okay. Yeah. Uh, um, what else you want to cover here before we check out? Well, I thought that it, it would be fun again to talk about the very birth of Starbucks. Yeah. Uh, which is, it's Gordon Bowker is the 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 founder of Starbucks. It's not Howard Schultz. Right. And and. Um, what we we have to remember is that that it was the year was 1970. Wow! And and Gordon Bowker, who had uh, dropped out of San Francisco State, although he was from Seattle, a Ballard boy, um, he was on a tour around Europe and discovered that he he liked English beer, mm-hmm. which would later manifest itself. Uh, because he was also the the guy who started Red Hook Brewery. Oh. But in the summer of 1970, he was uh, traveling through Europe and ended up in Rome and was sitting down for a uh, a break near the Trevi Fountain and uh, ordered a cappuccino and opened up his Rome Daily American and the people <laughs> around him were reading there were the German tourists were reading their Baedekers and the French were reading Le Monde and and the Italians, the Correra del Sera, and you know, there was a new pope who had not yet called for Vatican II, but who certain, soon would. And the waiter arrives and puts the, the cappuccino down in front of him, and he, and he takes a sip. And it changed his life. And it changed. It changed the life of America. That's yeah. right. <laughs> yeah. It was uh, like a drug. It was like the next thing after M&M's. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Gordon went back home where he had two unemployed roommates like himself, and mm-hmm. and uh, he became an evangelist for good coffee. And because he couldn't find any in Seattle, uh, where we all had MJB and, yes. and and Folgers and Hills Brothers, he would drive his little Alfa Romeo up to Vancouver, B.C. on the weekends and stop at Murchie's, Murchie's Coffee, Tea, and Spice Company. And buy freshly roasted beans and drive them back to Seattle. Not just for himself, but for all of his friends whom he had now converted to. Yeah. And he could find like grinders and things. Did we have those? Or because well, nobody really. We, we did eventually find grinders and then we, we started in bringing in from, uh, from Europe other paraphernalia. Mm-hmm. 
And and eventually, prior to that, we were using mortar and pestles to grind <laughs> the coffee beans, hand, hand grinders. Yeah. But um, the roommates actually then did start this little company. They they first store was in the market, not where mm-hmm. the first store is in right. the market today, but half a block further north. Yeah, the building was torn down, and and um, they did pretty well. Who were these roommates? Do we know their names? Jerry Baldwin. Uh, who ended up as as the uh, owner of Pete's Coffee, oh. hmm. and uh, Zeb Siegel, whose father was the concertmaster for the Seattle Symphony Orchestra. Oh, wow. Such a small world. I know. And then they started selling not just coffee, tea, and spices, but also paraphernalia, like grinders okay. and coffee pots and things like oh, that. Yeah. And the... These things were a lot of them were imported by a company on Long Island called Hammerplast, and the Hammerplast sales manager said, "How come this little company in Seattle is buying half our stuff?" Yeah, so I got to go find out. Hmm. So he parachuted in and uh, came in on the Lindenberg, <laughs> and uh, they 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 got along. Yeah. Uh, his his name was Howard Schultz. Oh, <laughs> there you go. That's how it happened. And that's how it happened. So um, now, was that, that a friendly is... takeover, or how did that? Howard hung around for a couple of years, eventually becoming director of marketing and product development, and then went off on his own because he said, "I want to sell drinks as well as just coffee." Mm-hmm. And after two years, they asked him if he would come back, and he said, yes, but you have to sell me the company. Ah, Mm. interesting. So Mm. he rounded up the money, and we now know what happened. Now, that's the short version. This is actually a 44-page story that's in the book. (laughs) It is. It is. Oh, is it? Oh, my God. It is. You're you're laughing, but I've done my homework. I know what's going on. Uh, Anyways, uh, we're running short on time, so what I want the listeners to know is that that was one good story, but there's so many. And uh, Ronald's style of writing is very fluid. It's fun to read. It, it's captivating. It's why I like to have him writing with us every yes. month because he really, I mean, you know, Connie, your stuff's good. But, uh, what? <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so definitely forking Seattle. Um, you need to get it, as I said earlier in the show. If you've lived here for a long time, you want to get it to read the stories of the past. If you're new to Seattle, you have to get it because otherwise we will be revoking your citizenship if you can't answer the questions we ask out of the book. And with that, we're going to take a break. Thank you for being here. Thanks for coming. My pleasure. Thank you. Support for Seattle Dining and the Seattle Dining Show is provided in part by... Swiftwater Cellars, a Northwest winery destination in Cleelum, celebrating locally inspired menus and beautiful surroundings. Now also open in Bellevue. Find them at swiftwatercellars.com and swiftwatercellarsbellevue.com. Hi, I'm Tabitha from Walla Walla, and when I'm in Seattle, I love to dine at Terra Plata because Tamara Murphy is awesome. Hi, this is Chris Upchurch from DeLille Cellars and Upchurch Vineyard, and you're listening to the Seattle Dining Show.
We're back, and we'd like to thank our guests for being here today and enlightening us about things going on. And we are close to ending our last show of 2018. But as always, we like to end the show with some tips and leave you with some ideas to ponder on. What are you thinking about these days? Well, you know, a couple of years ago, somebody, I think it was a mermaid, started making this pumpkin spice latte. Mermaids. Now, nobody so was ever that. making those before. Mm-hmm. And basically what they did was they started a new tradition for, for certain people who like to get their pumpkin spice latte every yeah. Christmas. Well, there's no reason why you can't start a new tradition, or any of our listeners could start a mm-hmm. new tradition. So, uh, you know, it might be some magic that you create in the kitchen at home. It might be going out to something that you've never done before, maybe the Christmas ships or something like that. But uh, it's always a great time of year to start a new tradition and then carry it on the next few years. Mm-hmm. When you get bored with it, start another new tradition. Yeah. yeah. You know, you get tired of your pumpkin spice latte, move on to the cardamom cinnamon latte or something. And you know what? I don't know. We all have hopefully long lives ahead of us. And so five years down the road, you could go back and for one year, go back to pumpkin spice. And it will be like, oh, my God, that was fun. Let's do something else next year. And it could be food. I mean, you've got a a little tradition you do with your grandniece now um, by giving her a a holiday ornament every year. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, try something. Yeah. And, uh, and then go be consistent with it every year. Yeah. It's fun. It is fun. What do you got? I was thinking um, that it's really good to be aware of big stuff going on, like the current romaine recall. What? There's a romaine recall? I know. Thank God you know. I Can know you, you know. imagine? You know how much money I made in the stock market because I, I had bought all those romaine futures, <laughs> but I purchased them all as puts? <laughs> And I don't even need to do this show anymore. I'm so rich, I could just go and sail away somewhere and never come back. Wow. I am so glad we're together. Just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) No, I was just thinking, when we were in L.A., every single restaurant we ate at said, we cannot serve romaine, so we're doing our Caesar with iceberg, or we're doing this, or whatever. And also, another problem was, it wasn't a problem, actually, uh, in terms of health, but nobody had avocados because they are in hard, hard to find. Oh, they ship them in from Mexico now. Well, I don't, I don't know why people, people couldn't get them. We, two places didn't have them. Huh. So, well, you know, the good case, news is they don't put romaine on McRib, so I was cool. Yes. Oh I was good. I was able to get my McRib in L.A. Mr. Health Conscious. Yeah, yeah. I've got a, McRib and a half. McRib. Organic McRib. <laughs> it's so not. In any case... Um, I'm happy that the restaurants took it seriously, and we're saying we're just saying, hey, that's what's going on. But um, if you're aware of it, you're just again more in control of what you take in. So if something's on a bad list, avoid it or ask about it, and then uh, you know you won't find yourself getting sick. So just yep. be aware of what's happening in the world. I guess is my tip. Yeah, read your news. So Another you're pearl hip to of everything. wisdom. And by the way, speaking of McRib. Um, let's leave it up for December. There is a recipe that we just put up uh, that is a our take on the Big Mac. Yeah. And it is all organic using grass-fed beef. Try it. It's fun to make, and uh, you'd be surprised. We, we, pretty, we got really close to what a Big Mac tastes like. It's yeah. that you don't like – your body doesn't swell up after you eat this one. <laughs> and you don't crash. It's a good one. Midday so. from all the carbs. So, yeah. Well, 
Sad to say, end of the year. Hate to go, but we're out of here. See you later, 2018. Thanks for joining us on the show, and thanks for listening to us all year. If you're not already a subscriber to our online magazine, it's free to do so. Just visit seattledining.com and click on subscribe free. All right. I think the Christmas train is on the way out now. (laughs) You're very. It's gone. Thanks for listening to another edition of the Seattle Dining Show. This program is a copyrighted production of Mixed Media and may not be reproduced in part or in whole without written permission of the legal owner, all right? However, feel free to share the link with all your friends on Facebook. Studio equipment for this broadcast was purchased locally at American Music of Fremont Icon. The views and opinions expressed on this show are exclusive to the hosts and guests and do not reflect those of former employees of Bill the Butcher, the Surrogate Hostess, the Beeline Diner, Louie's Chinese Cuisine, the Dog House, the Five Mile House, Charlie's, the Twin Teepees, Ocean Air, Benjamin's, the Madison Park Cafe, or any other lost Seattle icon. Subscribe free to our monthly magazine online at seattledining.com and join us next time for another edition of the seattle dining show